Hi, Kathy. Thank you so much for being here. Well, can you tell me about where you grew up and what you ate? Yeah. Um, so my parents were living in Brooklyn Heights when um, I was born, and then they moved to a town in New Jersey um, in Essex County called Maplewood. Um, so that's that's when I was like, you know, a baby, like two. So um, that's that's where I grew up. Um, and I remember like, well, my parents always cooked a lot, but if we did go out to eat, I remember like in the earlier sort of part of my childhood, we would go into the city and, you know, sometimes we would go to Chinatown or something like that. Um, but then over the years, gradually, like my parents became more attuned to where some other Chinese, like not some other, cause there was no, <laughs> not really much of a Chinese American community where in our town. So they, you know, figured out where some of these spots were and where some of these good restaurants that they wanted to go to were and, um, and had more of a Chinese American sort of community of families that they would um, go to. And for a while there, we were going to like dim sum, like every, like every weekend <laughs> um, with this like sort of clan of um, just Chinese American families that were like sort of eating buddies, <laughs> very important to have. Um, but, and then we would also get, you know, there's tons of great pizza and Italian food where we lived, um, great bagels, um, you know, the kind of New York stuff. And there's also like, we would try everything. Like if there's a new Ethiopian place, we would try it. There was like a Malaysian place we would try it. Like there's, you know, no limit to like what my parents wanted to go, you know, try if they eat, if they were going to eat out. So, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty blessed in that sense. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And, you know, you don't have formal culinary training, but like from your mm -hmm. blog, not eating out in New York, which you turned into a book um, to your cookbook, the food of Taiwan, and then your latest cookbook, she pan chicken, you've made food and cooking your life. So how did that happen? And was it what you intended to do? Oh, gosh, I mean, I guess, yeah, I have no form formal culinary training. But um, I've always sort of tried to focus on like home cooking, you know, and, and try to show, you know, my real, you know, practical home cooking, like through my blog, not eating out in New York. So just kind of, you know, keep it, keep it, you know, kept it real. Um, you know, sometimes mistakes and all share some of those failures. But um, yeah, so I hope that that's, you know, that's helpful for home cooks. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I wanted to be a writer always, like I studied like literature and like creative writing. Um, and after school, I was just sort of trying to do some journalism and um and i'd never really thought of food as like something you know i guess before then it's, it wasn't something i thought of that you know you could study um you know food writing or something like that but um i guess sometime in the oops that's my phone it's okay <laughs> um yeah sometime in like the mid 2000s like when blogs were like blowing up i i started a food blog in 2006 so um and um because you know i couldn't get published elsewhere i would write these like horrible pitches i actually took a class in food writing that was taught by um an organization that's no longer i think it's 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 called media bistro and, and for a while they had like food writing courses and my course was taught by Ramin Ganeshram, who is an amazing food writer. And I actually just caught up with her recently. But um, yeah, and so, you know, the, 
the what I was taught was that you had to like identify editors at these glossy magazines, write them a pitch, and then I would do that and crickets, of course. So I just started a food blog and said to heck with it. And um, I think everything just happened from there. People were reading my food blog and then they, I got a, you know, an offer to write a cookbook or I like, I was approached by an agent and um, actually two years later, finally kind of wrapped my head around what like a proposal would look like for that cookbook. Cause at first I was like, are you kidding me? Uh, so, and so, yeah. And so everything kind of just fell from doing the blog. So I've been, yeah, I just, kind of been doing um, freelance writing um, and cookbook writing, well, the food of time. Yeah, my question was, you know, how did you come to make food writing your life, which, you know, you, is what you've yeah. done, you know, and you you had a, another book come out last year, right? Another cookbook, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I think you answered the question, which was which was that you, you did your blog and you just kept kind of going at it, um, <laughs> which is, I think when people ask how do you do like how do you become a freelance writer the answer really is being persistent and consistent yeah. and so. um you know a lot just taking more risks than you would think you would i think want so to do. i think that, <laughs> I, mean, I also like to create community and i threw mm -hmm. a lot of events um when I was starting out, especially when I was doing my blog, um, I would throw a lot of cook-offs and other like potlucks and stuff like that. And it was just a great way to meet people and just form a community around it. I will say that also, I mean, if you're like, in terms of how I make a living today, yeah. it, it is also, it was actually always been sort of a mixed bag where I did a lot of freelance copywriting um, sort of on the side all along. And now I do that full-time and sort of the freelance food writing is my, sort of like night um night <laughs> so, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you know um you in your blog which you don't have you don't update anymore right you're yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to write about things for money now instead of like exactly you know, I spent a lot of like time and like effort on the blog so it's just like okay I'm gonna right, try to right, right. Like, move those projects into a different and more visible I guess right field yeah but you maintain your focus really on home cooking, you know, and, and and what is your advice and how has that kind of changed? Has your approach to cooking changed since you had the blog to now? You know, I know you were always about local and seasonal and like yeah. low waste cooking. Like how have has your cooking changed since you were starting out as a blogger? Oh, that's a great question. I think that I always like to um, sort of learn something new from every season of like vegetables that that crops up in my CSA or at my farmer's markets. And you do see trends come and go. Um, you do see new ingredients all the time. So yeah. I think that, that just experience and um, working with all different kinds of stuff that um, and, and as joining a CSA is a great way to have this is because you get all these things that you didn't intentionally set forth to buy. Um, and so it's kind of great. So I, I think that it just, it's only enriched my cooking. I've also been really interested in learning about all every cuisine in the world, basically, I want to learn more about. So I've been collecting cookbooks along the way. And yeah, so I, yeah. I hope that it's just only kind of enrich my awareness of and it's also led to a lot of clutter in my pantry <laughs> of like <laughs> random 
not random, but just like a lot of like spices and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The spices and the vinegars really take up a lot of space exactly. when you get going. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, with that focus on home cooking, you have a James Beard Award for writing about home cooking. So what is your relationship to eating out these days since you built your career on, on cooking at home? <laughs> oh. oh my God. Well, so since then I felt like, you know, <laughs> I, I've always sort of thought of like eating out as like the special treat, you know, rather than like, I know a lot of people who are not used to cooking, they see cooking as like a kind of like big, you know, to do, and it's a little bit nerve wracking. And so that was always like sort of the reverse for me. So I've always treated going out as like a special occasion, whether it's to try something I could never make at home, like dim sum, um, or to have, celebrate somebody's birthday. Um, I feel like the last year, I mean, I didn't, I, I usually don't get takeout in my local neighborhood, like, but in the last year, I've been doing that a lot just to yeah. support my local restaurant. Yeah. So that the last year has really changed my relationship in, in a big way in that sense. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, and, and there has been so much conversation about the ethics of restaurants and hospitality in the last year. And I was going to ask you, how mm -hmm. did the pandemic kind of change your approach yeah. to food? Um, and how did it other, you know, obviously a little more takeout, but you know, right. what was I it think, like for you? I mean, it didn't really change my day to day terribly much. And I'm so fortunate. I'm so privileged to say that because, um, you know, I, I always sort of cooked, I always sort of had a, like a stock pantry of things that I could, you know, whip together if I need to with like rice or, you know, some, some nice sauces and an egg and I'm, I'm happy. Um, so it didn't really change my cooking routine too much in that sense. But I think that, yeah, I was just so, I was really looking around and seeing what other people were doing, so what, what other businesses were doing to stay afloat. And I saw so many of them started pantries and like grocery stores, weird kind of pop-up thing, or not pop-up, but like uh, delivery things. Like I got some partially cooked stuff that you like threw together as a meal cook from one local restaurant and all these kind of like, um, you know, solutions and pivots that folks were doing. Um, I really wanted to support that. And I felt like, and I really wanted to support um, by buying gift cards. So I've, I just used a few of the gift cards I bought like a year ago um, <laughs> by eating out. And I just wanted, you know, it, I think that it's just, really important to show up for your community um and you know a lot of restaurants were really struggling and i tried to hear them out and, and wrote about some some of them as well yeah yeah you know and you're also like well known as a podcaster you know for eat your words and and why we eat what we eat and how did you get into podcasting and how did it kind of open up different creative avenues for you versus writing um yeah, I think it happened really organically through um, Heritage Radio Network, which was um, a project from Heritage Foods USA, which is um, a heritage meat distributor. And, um, you know, I'm, I was friendly with uh, the folks who ran it, and they just started this like radio, back then they called it radio station, they still do, <laughs> <laughs> um, outside of um, this little shipping container at Roberta's Pizza in Brooklyn. So I, I was, you know, friendly with some of those folks and they invited me on a show on my friend's show, uh, Snacky Tunes. And I was a guest and then they, you know, the, the producers asked if I wanted to come up with a show. Um, and, you know, they're creating like a show about like their show was like 
food and music. There was like Anne Saxelby's cheese show. And so I created a show about home cooking. Um, and then it evolved into being about books and food of all kinds, books about food, um, mm -hmm. basically, whether it's a cookbook or a food memoir. Right. So I, it just was totally organic and it was a great way to, again, like form community and like meet people that I wanted to talk with and um, kind of support their work and and showcase it however I can right. without having to sit down and like write a whole long <laughs> <laughs> yeah. profile about somebody. It's just like, hey, let's have an organic conversation. And so that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and then from there, yeah, I guess, um, uh, you know, Gimlet um, Creative reached out to me um, when they were looking for a host for their food show. Um, what was why we eat what we eat. And um, a longtime friend of mine who used to be a food blogger, um, James Boo, um, decided to start Self Evident, which is a community um, based podcast that's exploring Asian American experiences. Um, so and, you know, I, I had experience as a being a host and I was up, I was really dedicated to the mission. So that's how I became the host of Self-Evident. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, something I love about your book, The Food of Taiwan, is that it starts by giving a cultural, political, agricultural background on the island, which, you know, is you would say is or think is necessary to understanding any cuisine. <laughs> um, but a lot of, you know, I think, a lot of cookbooks don't necessarily start with all of that background, which which is something interesting about yours. Um, you know, have you always considered those factors important when talking about food? And if so, how did you kind of develop your consciousness around food politics and agriculture? Because it's, you know, it's not always a significant angle for a lot of food writers, especially, can, you know, talking about home cooking. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's essential to understanding the food of a certain place to understand, okay, what's, what are some of the people that have emigrated here over the years? What is the climate? What is the agriculture situation like? I mean, that's how cuisine is formed. Cuisine is just a totally social construct that is formed with, from people and the <laughs> land. And it's a, you know, so I, especially in the case of Taiwan, where I think it was really hard for me uh, when I was shopping this book around like 10 years ago or so, um, to explain without getting into a long history lesson what Taiwan is. <laughs> Maybe that is still, it's still like a kind of like a long-winded thing to explain because it's, you know, it's a very, um, you know, it, it's, it's political situation is a little bit um, tricky <laughs> right now. And it, it has been, you know, for quite a while. So um, it's just, a, it's just, I, I felt like it was like really important for that book. But that said, I, I really enjoy cookbooks that that give you that really thorough glimpse into the people who have created the cuisine. So I definitely think that that's important to understanding any any cuisine. Yeah, yeah. And and have you always been interested in food politics and and how agriculture works in that way. I know you said you have a CSA, so you're obviously supporting local farmers, but hmm. was that always part of your kind of food consciousness? Oh, definitely. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, just from as from the very first sort of like, I think when I was in like high school or maybe it was during college is when I read um, Fast Food Nation by Eric Schlosser. 
Um, and and um, I also read a book called Grub by Bryant Terry and Anna LaPay. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it just really just, that, that book I think in particular really just changed my consciousness. Um, and I always felt like food was intertwined with um, politics and uh, we have all like an, an ability to enact change with every decision we make around food and, mm -hmm. and how we interact with it and how we um, talk about it, especially if we're going to be a, a writer of some sort. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, what are you working on now as, as a in your in, as a food writer? Right now, I'm working on. Uh, I'm working on a story about sugar. Oh, is, I just filed a story about sugar. <laughs> I hope you're. I hope you figured it out because I can't figure my, out my story. <laughs> I can't wait to see yours. Yeah, it, basically, I've been working on this story, and it like turns into like a much bigger story than I was initially thinking it was, and much thornier and much more difficult. So. I don't know how it's going to turn out right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I do think that you do, you tackle thorny topics in food with like, in a very accessible way. Like you do take oh. thorny things and make them easy for people. Like not easy as in like digestible, but like you make it understandable and approachable. And, you know, one thing I did want to ask you, especially talking about politics and agriculture is like, you have written vegetarian recipes. You've written about the Buddhist history of mock meat, which I love that piece and, and reference it in the manuscript of my book I'm working on. But, you know, um, you did a book called cheap pan chicken and obviously I'm a vegetarian. And so I wanted to, I wanted, <laughs> I like wanted to add you to the press list, but I was like, wait a minute. No, no, wait, <laughs> no, no. But you know what I wanted to ask because, you know, how did you regard that? Like the, yeah. the, the politics of chicken, right. the sourcing of chicken, you know, the impact of its production, like how did you kind of deal with that? Because you are a writer who asked those questions. Thanks. Yeah. So, I mean, I, in the, there's like a section in the introduction where I, you know, talk about how to shop for chicken. I sort of run you through some of the labels you'll find on chicken nowadays and what they mean and why they're important. And, um, you know, I encourage people to be curious and look beyond the grocery store and hit up their local farmer's market if they're going to buy meat and they can ask, you know, even more questions. But um, I think beyond that, um, I hope that the book demonstrates the type of cooking that that I really like to emphasize, which is like using every little piece of meat and just maximizing the full value of all the flavor that you can get out of it and like have it carry through other ingredients. So, um, and that's just like the way I tend to cook is if I'm using meat, it's like a small amount that just, you know, lends their drippings and flavors to like vegetables or starch or tofu. Um, and then I think something like kind of magical happens with that synthesis to like both things. So, you know, I tried to kind of emphasize that in this book. I mean, like, there's like the worst thing I think you can do is cook a chicken all alone <laughs> with nothing to catch its fat or juices, right? So chicken should always be cooked on top of or like with some vegetables around them to like absorb and like kind of trade off one another's flavors and benefits and whatever. So, you know, that's what I hope people get out of the book because I have you do things like um, scrape the brown bits from the pan and make a sauce out of that or use, you know, keep 
mostly um, like I have them use like bone and chicken with the skin on and then like say, you know, you can make stock with it afterwards or like keep the fat and like, I don't know, in my fridge, I have like jars of like duck fat or bacon fat from whenever I've cooked these things. So, um, you know, like suggesting you can use them next time you're cooking vegetables. Um, that just feels like very like harmonious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are going to eat animal meat, so, you know, even more than like using like olive oil that was, you know, grown in a Mediterranean climate that's very far from New York City, right? But, you know, I still buy olive oil because I love it. But you know, keeping fat also just makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, And for you, is cooking a political act? Yes, definitely. Because I think that, I mean, I don't have a great answer for that. <laughs> but I think that, again, like every day you choose what you put into your mouth to, to eat and to nourish yourself and I think that it's a very important decision. It's more important than what color nail polish and what what the hell <laughs> my hair looks to, like today or, you know, how I present myself to the world. Um, how I present, you know, myself to the world is maybe best reflected in what I'm cooking and eating and talking about with regards to cooking and eating and shopping for food. So right. these are all decisions that are made on an everyday basis, three times a day. And I think that's a huge opportunity. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much, Alicia. That was fun.